So I was talking with a friend this week over a glass of wine about life-changing decisions. Our conclusion was that most all of them were actually pretty small decisions or even micro-decisions in the moment. Now, I'll come back to that in just a second, but just think for a minute, what decisions have you actually made today? Was it a tall Americano or a grande frappuccino or maybe that venti half-calf soy latte? Springsteen morning or is it more of a Duran Duran day? Take the freeway or surface streets? Food truck for lunch or the salad bar? Now, there are studies that have shown that the average adult makes a lot of decisions every day. How many? Are you ready for this? Researchers are going to tell you that the average adult makes approximately 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every single day. 35,000. Now, of course, that sounds ridiculously high, but according to a Cornell University study done in 2007, you make 226 decisions every day on just food alone. But here's the thing. How many of those 35,000 will end up being life-changing or business-transforming or in some way strategic? If we really make 35,000 decisions every day and there are about 1,000 minutes awake in any normal day, that means we're making 35 decisions a minute. How do we fit in the truly big decisions? Now, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you wear the same hoodie every day. Or Steve Jobs, you wear the same outfit every day. Or the four-hour workweek guy, Tim Ferriss, he eats the same meal for breakfast every day. Barack Obama apparently answers most email with one word, agree, disagree, or discuss. These are decisions that these guys have made to not make other small decisions. So my friend and I were talking. She met her husband because she decided to say yes to a game of pool. Another friend of mine decided to say no to a ride at a party and avoided a car crash. I met my wife because I begrudgingly decided to support a local theater company and go to a play that I knew was going to be horrible. She wasn't in it, by the way. So you want to know how many of those 35,000 decisions are life-changing? My answer? All of them. Every single one. Every decision we make has an effect on our future. They are the tapestry of creating our life. It's only in hindsight that we see them as life-changing. And that's the theme of our show this week. Decisions. Big ones. Little ones. And those, for some, will be life-changing. As Theodore Roosevelt said, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing, it's the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. And with that, I've decided we should get this week's show started. You ready? Let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 126 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, April 11th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the most decisive man in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. <laughs> How are you, my friend? Are you, uh, are you golfed out? You know, we golfed, I believe it was more than 150 holes, <laughs> probably. <laughs> You say that like that's a good thing. It, it, it was it was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I didn't didn't get any major injuries. Oh well, that's good. So, so that that's was good. important, and we survived. We had mostly amazing weather in uh, in South Carolina. So now, did, did you now, did you guys also watch the Masters as you were doing this? Because did you no, watch this, that guy we were completely the week, meltdown? We, yeah, we were the week before. We oh did, right, that's right. We were the week before, yeah. and uh, so we were fine. And I did watch some of the Masters and, and heard – I didn't see all the Jordan Spieth, like, you know, double and bogeying everything. So I didn't didn't get to all that. But uh, I, I just – you know, I already miss it. I want to go back. Uh, sometime I'm going to take you with me, and you and I are going to go golfing. Okay. Together. Well, I just I, – I, I would prepare yourself with lots of alcohol because I'm really, really not very good at it. It'll be a this whole marketing. Oh or something no, like that. he didn't, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, you he did, did not. just. No, he you did. did not just do that. No, no, I did absolutely. So how was how were your travels? I, they were Europe? great. I felt. Yeah. I have to be honest. I felt very continental this last week. I was. For those of you who didn't uh, tune in last week, I was in uh, Paris and then went up to Brussels, um, which was just a stopping point to get to Antwerp. 
Belgium, uh, spent a couple of days there with a client and then went to Milan, Italy, and uh, spent the last few days in Milan speaking at a conference there. And it was, I mean, I ate my way through Milan. It was, abs- ugh, I, the food there is just unbelievably good. I just, oh my God, I, I, could have, I could have stuffed myself for days. It was just amazing. Yeah, while you were doing uh, all your wonderful flights and, and travels in Europe, I did, uh, I spoke at the CISO, which is the Society of Independent Organizers. I that saw was, that, yeah. That was independent event organizers. And then we did, uh, I did a little thing for Carl Landau and his, his niche media conference. Oh, the niche so media was, thing. I've always wanted to go to that. I've heard that's I a love, really great well, little Carl show. Carl does such a great job. Yeah. And they're all small publishers for the most part, so I totally love them. And then I made a quick stop to uh, University of Minnesota and spoke to the journalism and mass comm uh, group there. And I hear you're going to be at Michigan State soon. That's where correct? I am today. In fact, as we record this, I am on the lovely campus of Michigan State University. And tomorrow I will be teaching a workshop, a, a half-day workshop, um, to all of the marketing and communications practitioners here at the school, all 170 of them apparently. So, wow. yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a great day, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm cool campus, really cool campus here. Well, between the two of us, we might be able to knock out the entire Big Ten <laughs> because with I just spoke at Minnesota, and I of course I graduated at Penn State and spoke there. Uh, separately, and I've spoken at Ohio State, the and Ohio I'm, State, the. Ohio State, the of Ohio course. State. How could how could I forget yeah, that? So, and lots of other fun stuff. But we have did we have news while we were we gone? did. I mean, ha- oh did my god! Happen? The news. I mean, it it this literally could have been the Facebook show, uh, folks, because the number of news items that came out from Facebook uh, this last week was just enough to fill a big old basket of goodness here. Um, they've had live video uh, that they're talking about. They're talking about new capabilities for Messenger and chat and bots and all kinds of stuff. But the two that we're going to cover here um, that actually sort of affected us the most and the ones that we want to talk about, the headline here is Facebook will start to offer branded content. Big hat tip here to Michael Stelzner, who pointed us uh, to in the direction of this story. And we're going to uh, link to right to the Facebook press release here. And we're going to pair it with a really interesting story out of Digiday that said and talked about how publishers are seeing big declines in Facebook recently. So coming back to the Facebook press release, it starts out by saying this could have been um, the new branded content uh, era and is growing and evolving as part of the media landscape. Uh, On Facebook, they say we define this as content that specifically mentions or features a third-party product, brand, or sponsor. Marketer. Uh, it is typically posted by media companies, celebrities, or other influencers. Verified pages with the blue check mark can share branded content on Facebook as long as they follow our updated branded content policy and ads policy and use the branded content tool to tag marketers in their posts. So, what say you, Joe Polizzi? Is this uh, this is? I mean, this is big doings for Facebook. This is pretty big doings, but I just wanted to make the point, and you knew I would make this point, but their <laughs> Facebook's definition of branded content is really interesting to me. Yes, exactly. Because uh, you know we've had discussions with many people about the how you define branded content, and Facebook defines it pretty much pretty similar to some of the ways that we do when you're mentioning a product or a brand. Right. That's, that's part right. of the whole thing. So I just think that that's interesting that they named that. You know, with in light of the other article, so I'm going to mix and match these a little bit with the Digiday article that says, you know, that Facebook traffic is plummeting. It's interesting how this came out. Now, I don't know if this means that instant articles aren't driving the amount of traffic they're supposed to or the revenue, which from what we hear, they're not. Uh, and it makes it makes sense they're not they're not tri- driving the traffic, but the revenue is an issue. And here is Facebook. You know, basically reaching out to publishers everywhere, saying it's okay. We're we're going to help you. We're going to help you drive revenue and giving a little bit more control over publishers to then talk about their advertisers and direct uh, drive more revenue this way as well. Uh, it's it's kind of a long time coming. I think you and I both thought this was going to happen. My question to you is. 
What's the FTC going to say about this? <laughs> well, because I because right. if you just look at the samples, they have a sample on here, Style Now feed, and they're promoting Jasper's Market. There's nothing on here that says this is a promoted post. That right. This is, well, they this have that little post. they have that little icon now that's going to appear oh, apparently yeah. when you tag it. So just so the audience knows, you're, what's going to happen here is is that when you tag this as a influencer. Uh, or as a publisher, or what they're calling a, and I love the fact that they put it in quotes, a marketer. Um, you're going <laughs> to have where it doesn't really count. I, right, you're just exactly. a marketer. So, right, well, maybe like you the, are. They don't really exist. Um, <laughs> so you're going to get this little icon that appears. Um, they've made this nifty little icon, and that, I mean, to your point, it's like. Are people going to really understand what that little icon means? No, um, and they don't even understand right. when you say paid post. That exactly. it's a paid post. That's right. That's right. So that's right. And so you know, I mean, look, I think this to me, what this does—the idea of what they're calling branded content—it it certainly creates a marketplace for those people who now want to become certified. You know, it's that sort of little. Are yes. you? Do you have the little blue check mark? Are you a certified Facebook? No, guy? I'm not. But that, okay. we should probably talk about that because we didn't mention that. So basically, if you are a publisher or an influencer or a marketer and you want to do this and you want to promote some a third party product or service, that's right. You have to be cert verified. First, you with the, with the the check mark. That's right. So you've got to go do that first, and I'm I have not done that, but of course everyone I think has seen that happen. And then you can be a publisher, you can be an influencer. You have to be somebody with status and somebody right. with an audience. And now you can promote somebody else's products or services. And I'm assuming there's some exchange of money or barter or whatever going on, or you're not going to do it. But, but technically, but technically, if you're a publisher, you could do an insertion order, and you could say we're going to promote this on Facebook. This is similar, similarly to where we're giving you an ad in our e-newsletter or a banner on site. No difference. And what's it? And then you know, there's a whole bunch of questions that come into my mind. So I'm under the assumption if you do this, like other content that's not really valuable, because this is not going to be really valuable content, is this going to get stuck in? Facebook's algorithm and it won't show, meaning that this is great for Facebook because you're going to have to boost it even more to well, get people course, to look well, at it. Well, that's the entire thing, right? That's yeah. that's at the heart of this. Is <laughs> I mean, this is why Facebook cares, right? Let's let's be completely frank here. Facebook doesn't care if you're an influencer. Sounds like a public service care, announcement, right? Nor do they care if you're a publisher. What they care about is the fact that if you're going to spend money with an influencer and trying to get that content out in front of that influencer's audience, you're immediately going to want to promote that. And you're immediately going to want to put money behind that. And every influencer that has any savviness about them at all is either going to require that. In other words, they're going to say, hey, listen, Mr. Publisher, yeah, this is – so if you're Kim Kardashian or you're uh, you know, some big heavyweight influencer in the space, you're going to say, you know – this will get much more shares if you actually boost it with promotion. Or quite frankly, they'll do it themselves. They'll actually promote it as part of what they'll do to get yep. that to get that piece of content out there because that's the way they're going to command the big bucks. The quote that I saw in a piece that was writing about this actually said this really well because the challenge that big PR firms have right now is – they engage an influencer to do this kind of program, and they're guessing, right? You know, they're guessing in terms of the reach and, and engagement and all of that because they're relying on the influencer to report back and say, well, how much, how much engagement did you get? And, you know, and as the PR firm who wrote this article said, sometimes you get honest influencers who tell you exactly, and sometimes you get dishonest ones who inflate their numbers. No longer will that be the case. You yeah. are going to – because they have to tag it and because they'll have a unique tag, you'll, the publisher who bought this will have immediate insight into how many times this was shared, engaged, how many saw it, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is you know, a definite accelerator into getting people to pay for that promotion because, of course, it gets lost in the algorithm. Well, it's frankly brilliant. Oh, of course. Facebook, one, yet again, Facebook's right? Part. Yet again, this is a cash register going cha-ching. And another decision that if you're a media company that you could make and say, well, maybe we don't need a website. Maybe we don't need our own properties. Maybe we just can use Facebook and other properties and we're going to be fine. Well, if you're, which is scary. If you're taking the drugs, you're saying that to yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think <laughs> that's wanna, what Facebook if you is hoping do for. Something, if you want to do something completely 
counterintuitive and 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 yeah, and not good. <laughs> That's what well. If doing. you were if you were a small publisher and you're starting today and you're looking at how much it costs uh, for hosting and to let's get a WordPress site up, even though it's not that much. But if you have limited funds, you're going to say, ah, I'll just I can I can launch uh, I can launch right on Facebook and YouTube and all the free services and rent 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, build my audience the best I can and then. Just put it in everybody else's hands. You could absolutely do that. I want to see an animated GIF of you with little rent, 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 rent. Oh, rent, see, rent, now you've done it because somebody's <laughs> definitely going to do it. Rent, 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 rent. Yeah, that's it. So, that's it. yeah, I think, you know, not to not to beat this horse into the ground or anything, but, I, you know, to me, this is, this is yet another vehicle for if, – if you're looking at Facebook as a paid media vehicle – to do something, this is an interesting experiment, right? Yes. This is this gives you the marketer more data and insight and analytics into how you're doing influencer programs. So I think from that perspective, it's a good thing. PR firms all over the world are raving, waving Rejoice. the flag of victory at the moment because this is their business these days. This influencer marketing and getting influencers to talk about and and post pictures of products and services and and do that is a great thing. And now this is yet another way to do that. But don't think for a minute this is isn't this isn't a paid media play because it is yeah and what's interesting just a little side post when, when anybody goes and reads through the article it's worth clicking on the branded branded content policies because there's certain things <laughs> yeah. you can't do yeah like within the videos you can't do pre-roll mid-roll post-roll ads you can't do a lot of things you can't do watermarks you can't do logo overlays you know those things so just be careful like before you do that make sure you read those rules or you're yeah, gonna exactly. waste a lot of money so there you go, because exactly. you want to get that handshake, that icon handshake, yeah. whatever that thing is, <laughs> right. that's going to immediately register I with everybody. I can see the that, John oh, Oliver paid. post right now. I can, I can just wait for people to start ranting on this. It, there's, I, here's the prediction. Within 60 days or 180 days of this becoming sort of you know mainstream, we're going to see the study – of how many people actually understand what the little handshake icon really means. And the, the, the answer to that is going to be exceedingly low. Yeah, like less than 2%. Yeah, nobody's going to understand. I just – I think it means that they're meeting me somewhere. <laughs> I don't well, know. When, when, you, when you are talking to consumers and let's say they're, they're looking at a, a native advertisement on Forbes or whatever and they see sponsored post – they don't know what that means. They don't means. know. They don't know. They don't. They know don't even. If even if they see it, they don't know what it is. That's right. That's, what they're. That's nice. They they're don't sponsoring my, the post. My my hypothesis here, of all these studies, I had a reporter actually call me and ask me about this study that the uh, BBC did actually on this, and the study that they did supposedly said, and it was really quite frankly, the study was a piece of content marketing to basically bolster the fact that people were okay with sponsored content or native advertising. Yeah. And the the study basically said if people once people understood that it was sponsored content that they liked it, that it was okay. And if they didn't understand, then they felt tricked. And I said, "But the only way that you got to that point was that you either told them after they read it or you told them after they read it." In other words, they didn't know before, and if you hadn't told them, they would have never known. And so it is only the act of telling them that it was a piece of sponsored content when they didn't know going in that made them feel tricked. In other words, if they don't know it's sponsored content, they see it and don't understand what that is and then read the piece of content and like it, they're going to think it's fine. They don't, they don't really – they don't judge the difference between those things until mm -hmm. you tell them that it's actually a trick. And then, of course, they're going to feel tricked, and they're going to tell you that they feel tricked. And so I, I think most consumers here, you know, and I'm not arguing for not labeling things. I'm not arguing for, for not making it clear that it's a sponsored post, but I'm just – my conjecture, hypothesis is that most customers out in the world don't know and don't care. Well, they don't know. Actually, it's, I had a conversation with a fairly large publisher. We were talking about native advertising, and I was talking about the fact that I really do believe that if you're going to allow native advertising opportunities on your site, you should run it through your own editorial team, and it should pass editorial muster on your own site per your own editorial exactly. guidelines, That's or exactly you don't run right. it. That's and he, exactly said, right. he said, no, we're not going to do that because it's an ad. 
I'm like, but your readers don't know that. Right. They don't That's exactly know. right. They blame so, you. If they yeah, hate so if, if they hate the if, content, they don't blame the advertiser. Exactly. If it's terrible content, they're gonna leave your site and never come back and they're That's gonna right. think that you just don't know how to write or create content. Exactly. So it doesn't matter if you put this is an ad seventeen times like the New York Times does. It doesn't matter. It's still yeah. on the New York Times. It That's better right. be good. So that's totally exactly that. right. That's exactly right. All right. Done. I'm done with it. That's all I got to say. Hole in one, my friend. <laughs> all right. Moving on to our next story. This one, if this first one didn't have a squawking at the walls, this next one, I mean, folks, buckle in because this is, this is an oh. interesting one here. Making Medium a more powerful platform for publishers, says the headline. Big hat tip here, by the way, to Adam Frazier, who is a frequent contributor of story ideas to the show. So thank you, Adam, for that. Thanks, Adam. This comes to us courtesy of Medium itself, which is launching um, a uh, more powerful platform to monetize their uh, platform here. We're going to pair this, by the way, with John Battelle, and it'll become evidently clear why we're pairing this with John Battelle's announcement that he is actually launching – uh, a new magazine here. And so the first from Medium. So here we go, Joe. We I don't know if it was three shows ago or four shows ago, but again, patting ourselves on the back here, we totally, totally nailed this prediction. The article starts out at Medium saying, at Medium, we're building out a new corner of the internet specifically designed for people and publishers who want to experience a deeper level of discourse and engagement. Much of the content we love comes from great publications, all of which have different needs. Today, we are announcing a new bundle of features, Medium for Publishers, designed to give more tools and horsepower to publishers and bloggers across the web. We want to make it even easier for publications to do what they do best. And along with that announcement comes two major features to monetize the idea of native ads to be able to produce native ads here and the ability to have subscriptions and take money for subscriptions to premium content. I mean, did we not say that Medium was going to monetize this thing within the next six months? I mean, this is it, right? That's that's the first thing I told you. I said, am I dreaming or did we just not cover this? And Medium said they're not going to do this stuff. They just said it. They they, just just said it. They didn't even let it sink in for whether we would forget. It just (laughs) happened. Maybe it was six or seven episodes we would have forgot. But it was just happened a couple weeks ago. Right. uh, Where the guy, he basically said out loud – for everybody to hear, we're never going to do this where we're going to basically make pay types of features. Now, I have a caveat here that I think he has skirted around this a little bit um, yes. because of my take on this. But what do you think – before I get into that, what do you think about this? Well, my my stomach still hurts actually after reading this. I, <laughs> I became <laughs> ill from – no, now first of all, Medium is again another brilliant move. Because they have found a way to, I think, I think if this is successful, to monetize this uh, by offering uh, what I'm calling Insta CMS. That's right. And so, really, that's what it is, right? And we were talking about before. It's instant CMS. If anything, it's a it's it's, it's like the concierge service at WordPress.com. That's right. So it's competing against WordPress. And I think it's a great move for Medium in that respect that they're finding a way to monetize this. Uh, but they're really going backdoor with this native thing. And you were explaining to me, and I want to make sure that I'm right with this, but it sounds like they, Medium, is not offering native advertising because Medium is not technically the publisher. It would be Medium's technology, and these other publishers would be using native. So it doesn't count that Medium would be using native because technically it's not them. It's the publishers that are doing it. And they could choose to do it however they want because they're independent publishers. They're just using Medium's platform. Am I correct on this? You are definitely correct on that. As, okay. as, as I'm reading the release, this is what I understand, is that Medium is offering this out as a software play. In other words, if you are a publisher and you are approved by their little committee of the whatever, whoever approves these things, you can now use Medium in a very similar way to the way that you, you would use the concierge service um, with WordPress.com. It is a hosted service where you log in. There's no software to install. It is a software as a service. And you have, the, I'm assuming, the full gamut of tools available to you as, a, as you very appropriately put it, a hosted CMS – Yes. And then you also have these abilities to monetize through commerce, the ability to say this is premium content, therefore available to paid subscribers only. 
um, and then also to provide some level of paid placement of content, so a native advertising within your own publication. Now, the key here is is that that's a business that doesn't scale very well, certainly not to the extent that somebody like a medium is going to want to scale that. So it just logically follows that they're going to use that infrastructure to then promote content through the broader medium uh, uh, ecosystem. In much the same way, by the way, that WordPress currently does that, right? So you can sign up for a WordPress account for free and have a free blog, and you're three clicks away from doing that. But you can also sign up for the concierge service, which gets you stuff like customer service, a wider range of plugins, more templates, more look and feel, all that kind of stuff. So this feels very much like that initially, but they're going to have to scale that and monetize it much more broadly, I would suspect. Now, this is is this currently the the beta that they're launching this in? It's currently free, correct? N- well, is, it's an application only. It's application. You have to apply to get okay. in. You can't so, just sign up. I would have signed. I would have totally signed up for a test account. But but I, my understanding is is that you have to actually apply to get in. To they be. turned you down. Do they know who you are? <laughs> don't don't you is, know who I am? Oh my goodness. <laughs> You know who I am, <laughs> Sir Robert. <laughs> knock, knock, Sir knock. Robert. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you're saying that it, this this apply for beta is going to be free, but at some point, that's probably right. Going to be and a, so you a can you can make an argument. Um, although I'm going to turn right around with this paired story with John Battelle that we'll talk about and 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 kind of figure you know figure out the irony here. You can make the argument that this isn't really owned. Or rented land because you are you are buying theoretically if you're a publisher, and I'm going to guess that they're taking some percentage of your e-commerce revenue or your your advertising revenue that they're they got to make money out of somehow. Yes, um, and so they're either doing that or they're charging you money for you know sort of being able to use the service. Um, I'm going so it's a little more like a software product than it is sort of a true rented land. It's basically your it's not really rented land. You're just sort of it's more like you're basically it's a software as a service type of purchase. And so it's a little different there. But, I okay, think. so let me ask you this. Do yeah. you think that you you could take uh robertrose.com and run on Medium but have that the, like you do WordPress, but have it live on your own domain. It well, that's the question, like right? Is the, the the question is are they are they going to once they get some publishers in here, what are they going to do? Yeah, are they, they going to are they going to open it up broadly? So, in other words, if I'm if I wanted to put robertrose.com on Medium instead of WordPress, I could. It's basically just an alternative, right? That I could that I could do that and theoretically take advantage of all the differentiated tools that Medium provides, which. Quite frankly, isn't that much? I mean, I, I don't, I don't see why it would be any different. Um, the the key difference to me is if they add in that other layer, which who knows if they're really going to do it, which is the ability to have viewability in the broader medium community. That's the that's the real trick here, right? And so that's why they're, I think, they're limiting it to a handful of publishers to begin with, is so they can actually show that off, you know, and. And it brings us to why, you know, somebody like John Battelle, who is launching a new magazine, this is the story that we're pairing with this, the John Battelle is launching literally a company called Nuco Shift, which is sounds like a really cool publication. It's all about how Say that three times fast. Nuco Shift. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Boy, that's a good one. Holy smokers. Yeah. That's the, when I looked at the logo, I yeah. don't know who did his logo. But people, just go take a look at the new Coach logo <laughs> yeah, and do a right. quick – just just gl- glance at it quickly and glance away and, and yeah. see what you see. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And you will not be able jo- to unsee jo- it. Basically. Mr. Joseph Kalinowski, our creative director, he's going to have a field day with this one. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so – and but it sounds like a really cool idea. They've got this idea that if you – Um, That the new economy is going to be about businesses that are really transforming the way that we do business, so new business models. And so, you know, it's it's, it's a really neat idea. And, of course, he's former editor at Wired and and sort of has that pedigree, and and it sounds really fun and interesting. Here's the irony is – when we, you know, you've all heard us rant on about don't build your home on rented land. John Battelle is the guy who originated that sentence. He yeah. is the guy who wrote the original article that said, don't build your home on rented land. And here he is launching his new home 
on kind of rented land. Well, so maybe when you, but maybe it's a thing when you, when you make enough money, it's okay to rent. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe that's what it is. <laughs> maybe it's going condo. It's not. It's not really you know, home you know ownership. What? I or... think you have. I think he's gone condo. He's I gone think that's condo. What it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. So you have you have the way to go. owning your land, and you have renting the land, and in the middle with medium, you have going condo. Something, something to that. Maybe it's a cluster home, more like yeah. a cluster. Home. A cluster uh, something. <laughs> it's a cluster something. I'm well, here's really so, sure. so. I mean, just to get it back on the point here, if we could salvage this at all, uh, we we don't know whether this is rented land or not. No, I mean, my my. When I think about this, and we joke about it often, but I always think, well, if if medium went out of business, what would happen to our site? So if I'm looking at right. everything right now, it would end. It would be gone. Not th- if it would be failed, to, they wouldn't support it anymore. Like if, Word, if WordPress goes out of business, I, I could still get that thing to work. That's right. At, and because you've got it on your own server and you've got that's it. Right. Yeah, that's right. I got it on my right. own yeah, server. Exactly. I can take care of it. That's fine. That's right. So that's where I, I'm a little bit concerned. It's just like uh, I read an article, I don't think it was last week, and they were talking about Google's Nest. And if you're using it to... Oh, my gosh. Then to, they shut down that service. That's that, right. That, yeah. If they shut down that service and you've got your elect... You know, you're going to have your electric electric stuff. You're going to have your heating and your cooling and everything set up to that. What if it just becomes a, a dumb machine and doesn't do anything? And then you're like, oh, my God, it's got everything. That's, we're, a, we're that's done. right. And that's, and that's exactly it. Because what we don't know right now and won't know until there's more details available for us to be able to go dig into, for example... So they offer me a – I'm a publisher and I want to sign up with Medium and they offer me and they say, hey, listen, we're going to offer you the idea for subscription. Great. That's awesome. How is that transaction getting conducted, right? Is that – is that you know, do I, do I have accounting tools for that or do you just handle everything and send me a check or what is the actual – where the emails reside? Where is my customer database? That's exactly all that right. stuff is – Where is all the IP? Exactly. So that – there is a big risk there and – you know, and I get it why he would do something like that. It's fast, it's easy, it's got lots of buzz, and he can he can leverage the sort of buzzworthiness there and get a lot of new theoretical traffic and subscribers to his new property. But we'll see. We'll see. I think it's a big. I think it's a big. You, we'll see. You know what this is really seductive for is for marketers who don't want to go through IT. And they could just say, we can launch this on Medium and take two seconds and done. Don't have to go through any oh, of it. Don't do it. Don't, gosh. I'm, don't I'm, do I'm, it. I'm yeah. just saying it is seductive. I'm, listeners, I get please it. don't, but I'm just saying it is very seductive. You and I have been in meetings together about this. Yeah, I know. Where they just say, well, we just have to launch a WordPress blog on the side because we just can't get it through IT. We can't get this communication going and we're never going to get approval and it'll take a year. So let's just do this. It's, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's do we still have time to go through the other two real quickly? Or we, we do, do we absolutely. Yeah. So okay. let's go. Let's cover our last story of the show okay. here. Um, this one's a fun one. It's a little different. Um, all of them with the theme of decisions, of course, big decisions, little decisions. And this one, I that we're pairing another two pairs of stories here. So sort of, you know, sort of in this theme of decisions, one way or the other. The first story here is Prevention Magazine takes a radical step with no print ads. This one comes courtesy of the Wall Street Journal and basically introduces itself by saying, Facing hard times at her family's magazine, publishing heiress Maria Rodale recently made a radical decision. Prevention Magazine, once Rodale's flagship title, will no longer accept print advertising starting with the July issue. Prevention, which focuses on nutrition, fitness, and weight loss, sold 707 ad pages in 2015, a uh, little more than 8% more than the prior year. But the revenue from those ads was less than in 2014 when the magazine had a much larger circulation. She figures, and the article goes on to explain, that she'll lose by increasing the subscriber price by about a buck uh, an issue, that she will lose a bunch of subscribers, but she'll actually end up making more money by going more niche and uh, with those who are passionate subscribers um, and don't want to see ads. Pairing that with Mashable announcing personnel shifts and job cuts. And the reason we love pairing these stories together is because here's an old media company, a print magazine, radically changing their business model to get rid of ads and to really focus on the quality of content. And here's a digital company that's really struggling to evolve in this digital time. This 
article coming to us courtesy of the New York Times.com, where we see that the news website Mashable announcing sweeping changes to its operation on Thursday, replacing executive editor Jim Roberts, its chief revenue officer Seth Rogen, and making a round of job cuts. Uh, in the memo to the staff, Mashable's founder Pete Cashmore described a decision to move away from covering world news and politics as a standalone channel and spend more time focusing on our core coverage technology, web culture, science, social media, entertainment, business, and lifestyle. I'm not sure how that's really core coverage, but all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him at his word there. Anyway, so what did you think of all this? I know I'm, I'm sure you've got opinions about the print magazine. I have opinions about both, but let, let's start with the Rodale issue. Uh, first, I just want to th- – this is not necessarily a print business model issue. This could be a sales inefficiency issue because if they sold more ad pages in 2015 <laughs> – but they were getting less ad revenue, there was significant discounting going on. Of course. That's a serious problem. So they're going to fix that problem by just saying, to heck with all of you, you're done. We're not going to sell anymore. Now, I actually like the move a lot. I think that because if they were, they're losing money. So you're looking at what model can we use to actually get us profitable? And they're going right. to say, okay, we're, we're going to. That we're not going to do whatever 160 pages. We're going to do 90 pages, and we're going to have no ads and whatever. Now, there's this. I thought one thing, and then I read the comments, and I'm going to give you both these. <laughs> first, first, I thought, why cut advertising altogether? Cut it to like, you know, I don't know, uh, 10 pages an issue, and then really skyrocket the the yield on that. Like push it up to, you know, you could double the yield on that because you're getting, you know, more exclusivity. Yeah, by you think, you think only, they might have cut off their nose despite their. Fear. Well, that's what I thought. I'm like, but that's the fir- that's what I would have done. I would have said, okay, well, instead of just saying it's unlimited, let's put let's make it limited, so it's right. only open to ten, and then we can charge a lot more money, and they're going to play pay this rate. We're not going to discount, and then they could actually make a lot more money. Then I read the comments, and one of the commenters here, I don't know if I can bring it up here, but I thought it was so interesting. So this was Robert Barrows. And Robert here says, prediction, within a few months' time, advertisers will start clamoring to run ads and prevention again, and their advertising pages will double. I could see that happening. Yeah. I could actually see that happening. But the point is, uh, you know, interesting move on the business model. Or native. Oh, they could, you know, they could go native. Or native. Selling, yeah, they could start selling sponsored or content native. in there. But the point is, and, and we've talked about this many times recently, is the fact that the future of media does not cannot cannot rely on advertising. That's right. That's all we know. So Miss Rodale is making a bold move and I, I admire that move. I think that they went one move too far. I would actually come back and do a limited inventory model. It works really well. We've used it many a times and we use it at CMI all the time. Um, so I wish they would do that. So I think that's that's interesting that's to interesting. see this happening. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting idea. What do you I, think I, about the Mashable thing? I, you know, look, I, I think it's I, I I think it was inevitable. Um, you know, I think we have seen the commoditization of these kinds of magazines out there. Um, you know, Mashable for all of the sort of fun we tend to make of it. Um, especially on the technology and marketing side of the equation, um, you know, on the quality of the articles and those sorts of things that are coming out of there, is a very popular. You know, they, and some stuff they get really right. Um, I, you know, my my so sort of taking a page out of the book you just um, wrote for for uh, for prevention. I guess when I and, and I kind of I kind of glossed over it and laughed about it when I said, you know, they Cashmore says basically they're going to get back to their. Their core coverage roots, technology, web culture, science, social media, entertainment, business, and lifestyle. I mean, okay, well, basically then you're going to still do everything except the news. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, that to me feels too broad and I would have – They should have gone back and said social media and technology and yeah, stopped or, right there. You know, yeah, exactly, or the web lifestyle or the web yes. culture or something like that, you know, which is really what – I have always appreciated Mashable for, which is sort of the the digital culture, the digital lifestyle sort of thing, um, you know. And I think I think if they refocus things and really get it back to its core, they'll they'll do just fine, you know. And so I, you know, I like the decision. I like the I like the move. Um, you know, it's sad that it comes at the expense of some people's jobs. True. And, but, but they needed uh, in that case. They needed to do more. That's right. They didn't. Exactly. They didn't. They didn't, they didn't do, do enough. Do enough. Well, exactly. this is what brands fall into this all the time because they, oh yeah, we can cover politics. Sure, 
Like, okay, yeah. I mean, how is Mashable going to co- cover politics in a way that's exactly. significantly different or better than the thousand other places that are doing it? That's right. That's so right. that's the issue. But they can, I think, do that with, to your point, web culture, social media, technology. To it's everybody extent. wanting to be Huffington Post, right? It's all these publishers wanting to be Huffington Post and trying to expand out in this way and, you know, sort of a, you know, a, a, a thousand miles wide and an inch deep. And, and, yeah. and what happens is, is you just, you, you lose the, you know, you lose the loyalty of your audience because nobody cares anymore because the, qu- the quality of the content suffers. Amen. Well, speaking of quality of content, we have the highest quality. I mean, goodness gracious, this is just such good stuff from our sponsor. We are super excited to again welcome back our sponsor, GoToWebinar. And Robert, did you know? And if you don't know by now, you have issues. If but- <laughs> you don't know me by now, oh, that you was- may never, never, never know hey, I'm me. starting to tear up here. Okay, <laughs> let me move on. <laughs> Webinars are cons- consistently rated as the number one marketer tactic for lead generation with over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars. But many but. businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. Following a very simple five-step plan, the <gasps> keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from <gasps> daunting, daunting to, to doable. doable. That's right, my friend. From finding <laughs> your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction, which is much better than just plain old interaction, and yeah. webinar promotion, you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar right at your fingertips. Well, actually, you have to do a few clicks here and there. I'm going to give you that. Go to bit.ly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. Bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. You can find it there. You can also go to thisoldmarketing.com and you can get uh, at any one of the last few episodes that go to webinar has been a sponsor. And if you are interested in, by the way, doing any kind of webinars or webcasts, make sure you check out go to webinar. Great service, very supportive of this old marketing and of content marketing as an approach. And Absolutely. we certainly appreciate it. We certainly do. Good stuff. Do. It's real it's really good. It's really, really good. We we have fun because we love about the daunting but doable, but I, I, lo- I look stuff. forward to that every I mean it, I it's do very too. tough. I'm, it's very tough to get on this episode every week and talk to you, but you know, I do <laughs> oh, it gosh. Oh, because yeah. <laughs> because of that line. Wow. Line All right. Is, I'm glad something next. keeps you coming back, my friend. <laughs> And All right, it is, it is now you're time open. for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel, well, indecisive about life or makes us feel like we're quite certain that this is, you know, garbage. Um, and so, let's see, I have this old marketing, so I'm going first. You're going first. Take it I away. I do. I have two very short raves this week. Um the first is a huge shout-out, and we're going to, of course, link to this blog post in the actual show notes here. Um, it's a huge shout-out to Vertical Measures, which, of course, is a friend and family of the, uh, of the show and of CMI and Arnie Keene's agency out in, um, out in Arizona. Just a great, great uh, set of folks out there. This is a blog post written by Eric White um, of Vertical Measures, and the headline is uh, basically – why your content marketing agency is failing you. And it's just a great article, generally speaking. So I, 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 re- I really recommend it. But it, it just brought me to something that has been just lately top of mind for me, which is the number of brands that I'm talking to these days, either in advisory sessions or at workshops or at conferences. And the question they're asking me time and time again is, we're going to our agency and we're asking for strategy and we're not getting it. Mm-hmm. What we're asking, you know, we want them to come in and help us figure this out, and they're not delivering. They're really ready, really uh, ready, willing, and able to help us write blog posts, to help us manage our social media channels, to help us figure out a newsletter, to do SEO, to do all the execution bits. But it feels just like so much of a massive wall, a Chinese menu of services, but nothing backing it up from a what should we be doing. And I think it's just so important for you that are agencies out there that are actively going, wow, it's such a crowded space and how do we get into this? I am telling you, if you start offering strategy, content proper and true content marketing strategy about what brands should be doing, 
into navigating this disruptive space, you will differentiate yourself because, quite frankly, everybody from the smallest agencies up to the big Madison Avenue agencies are still, in 2016, not delivering against it. So anyway, great article about what you should be asking for if you're on the brand side and what you should be looking at and the way that you should document your strategy and all of that. And if you're an agency, get on it because it's it's really good stuff. All right, so that's my that's my one quick rave. My second... And I'm going to have to navigate this a little carefully here. Um, this comes from Adweek, um, and it's I loved this, what happened here. Um, so I don't know anything about these companies because I am so opposite the target market for this. Um, so there, um, there are feminine hygiene products out there, um, and there's a company called HelloFlow. Love the name, but doesn't resonate with me because for the obvious reason. Um, and Here's what happened here. And the article goes through sort of what happened here. But basically, um, HelloFlow was a product company. They made femi- feminine hygiene products. And they created they – they basically went to market with content marketing. And they created all these viral types of pieces of content that just were extremely popular. They had one called Camp Gyno. They had one called First Moon Party. They basically created this viral content um, in an ongoing way with really talented people who were able to do that. And so they're a product company. Now, remember that. That's important here because what happened was She Knows Media, which is a a woman-owned and focused media company that really develops content for all kinds of brands, bought the company. And so here is a product company that started out as a product company using content marketing and and acting and looking and being like a media and a publishing company, creating so much value through the content that they created that they actually outpaced the product sales and marketing that they were doing to become known for their content and thus became – to the attention of a media company who said, we're going to buy you not for your product capabilities but for your content capabilities, for your content creation capabilities. And they actually became part of the Shino's Media content crew. They're, all their employees were kept, and they're sort of focusing on all the different things that Shino's Media does now. And by the way, they're keeping the product part of it alive as well. The e-commerce stuff that they're doing is all around. That is just such a wonderful thing and shows the value of really getting good and creating value with content because here's a media company buying a product company because of their how good they are with content. Those are my two That is fascinating. Yeah. That's a great – we've got to bookmark that one. Yeah, that's it's a, a good one. That's it's a, a really story. great one. All right, so I have a, a one rave, uh, a couple articles around this, but it's the same topic, and, and I think you saw this as well. But uh, for those of you that don't know, Audible, an Amazon company, uh, and their big announcement to produce and distribute short-form audio content is I saw I think, this. Yeah. pretty big news, pretty huge news. Now, although announced last week they have over 70 channels already in short-form podcast type. I can't really call it podcast because they don't, but I'll talk about that in a second. So short-form audio content that will be available to Audible listeners on Android and iOS on the Audible app. So a couple things on this. First, this takes the podcast market to a whole new level with the support of a rather large player in Amazon. Now, although... Stitcher and SoundCloud and a few others as well have had some success. The de facto source for podcasts is still iTunes and Apple. Now, second, it looks like Audible is producing much of its own original content, like Amazon has in the in video format and Netflix have been doing. And also, don't forget that Jeff Bezos is CEO of Amazon and owns the Washington Post, so I'm sure there's some plays there there as well. We don't know what that'll be, but that's just my thought on it. Now, third, I picked up, uh, I think you saw this too, Tom Webster's post on his Brand Savant blog. Yeah, I commented he, on it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think I saw that actually, where he noted that Audible says nothing about podcasts, only referring to them as short programs. Now, right. Tom notes that as a term, podcasting or podcast as a term has lagged the overall market it hasn't really picked up steam and popularity now this could be a sign that we will move from podcast as a term to audio shorts uh, audio programming audio shows channels radio or even something like i think you mentioned in your comment was netcasts right wasn't right. that yeah and that's then, leo, leo laporte started leo laporte ten, okay 10 years ago started started calling them netcasts exactly so my overall take on this is this is a big move from Audible, like this is something that we need to pay attention. This is this is 
going to change the face of media, I believe, as they get into this business. I think there's a bigger opportunity than ever before in audio, and I thought it was huge yesterday. Um, even today, I'm even more excited about what can happen, um, and I'll be interested to see where this goes. So, uh, And we'll put in the show notes the link to Audible, and I'll also link um, Tom Webster's great post uh, talking about podcasts. Anytime I need audio or podcast research, I always go to Edison Research, and Tom and his team do a great job. So They certainly do. It's a great company. It, they, they really do a nice job so what yeah what did you think anything of the the audible thing when it first came through i absolutely did yeah i mean you know so i I, you know i i I totally agree with you it's this is this is this is you know it's sort of like when mainstream media picks up a particular format and you go oh you know it's like it's all it's almost like you know and maybe this is a little too inside baseball but i grew up in the tv business and when reality tv became uh, a broadcast television mainstay in other words and i was and the reason for this is top of mind for me is because i was just watching american idol the finale this week and which was great by the way and the 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 interesting thing was they were going all the way back to the beginning of american idol when quite frankly there were two reality shows on television there were survivor and american idol and that was really it and we think back you know that was only you know well 12 years ago 13 years Mm -hmm. ago that we're talking about that. And now you look at the broadcast, how reality television has changed the way that broadcast and all really media, television media outlets program their, you know, their, their slate of programming because it's cheap, it's quick, it's popular, and people love it. And it has become a mainstay of what entertainment is these days. And so I think this is that kind of moment where you start to get big mainstream media companies getting interested in the format and quite frankly in the process redefining the format as they go and i think it's a it's a really i think it's going to i think we're going to look back at this moment and go this was kind of the you know in this sort of renaissance of podcasting this was kind of one of those moments that sort of pivoted it toward sort of the 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 mainstream it's just interesting to see what amazon is doing and how they're they're really becoming almost, you know, uh, they could be one of one, if not the top media player in the next five oh, years. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, it's just absolutely. amazing to see yeah. every every little uh, acquisition they make and every little move that they make. It's it's really something to see this and taking. You know, they're basically Amazon's core raison d'être is to take cost out of the distribution model, right? And so as, as, as you know, and content is key there and digital content is critical there you take them cost out of the distribution model everything you everything you make is profit it's, that's exactly it's, it's, it's that's that, exactly it's that right. simple so you have this old marketing i have what do you this got? old marketing yeah and it's a fun one it's a fun so now when you were a kid did you play those hex uh hex uh strategy games you do you even know what I'm talking about? I don't think I know what you're talking about. Okay, so there are these hex board games that that are there are so many of them out there, and they are they're not for the faint of heart, quite frankly, because they're deep strategy games. Most of them are based on real battles or war or that. You're not kind talking of thing. about like Risk or anything. No, well, it's or... like Risk, but like Risk, like exponential. Right? Okay, it's, all right. It's like all right. you know, imagine like table sized boards where you've got hexagons all over the board and you put men on them and there are rules about how you can move men across hexagons and and all that kind of stuff and and some of the boards are just huge and they contain thousands of pieces and they're just they're inordinately complex in some cases i had a friend of mine who introduced me to these board games back when i was a kid and you know these games can take weeks or months to play i mean they're 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 really really super complex strategy games anyway so this is from that time period so when these games started coming out in the early 60s by the way huge hat tip here to brian christopher stout who sent us this over this um over uh through the email address actually and this is a magazine that was created by um, one of those uh, gaming uh, companies. And basically, Avalon Hill was one of the people who made these strategy games in the early 1960s. And as part of this, they created, of course, the games and sold the games. And they created this magazine called The General. 
um, and the general. And I even when it was so funny when he sent this over, I was like, oh, I remember the general. It was this magazine that really covered the games and best practices, and it also talked about various strategies and then different games. And then there was sort of user generated content where you could go in and sort of talk about you know your favorite parts or your favorite bits of the game and which would you know provide uh, other sort of education about other games that were out there and how to do that and it was published the magazine itself by the way it cost money so you would actually subscribe to it and so this was a program that sort of expounded upon the the wonderfulness of these strategy games and taught people how to play them so in other words teaching people how to play these complex games and thus building a marketplace for where none existed before in terms of selling the games the magazine itself was published um, bi-monthly um, for about five bucks um, a subscription, and it was published from 1964 all the way up until 1998 when Avalon Hill then sold uh, to Hasbro. And once they sold to Hasbro, Hasbro uh, killed the magazine for, for, whatever, for whatever reason there. But all through that, this was a magazine that, quite frankly – was a hugely popular magazine in the community, despite the fact of whether you owned the game or not. In fact, they had enough subscribers that the magazine itself was making a profit during the time that it was being published, and they went, you know, they went from four pages to sixteen pages to thirty-two pages, and it was this glossy magazine. And it's just wonderful that they sort of built this fanzine, um, and ultimately, and this is my favorite part of this story. What they started to notice was as this magazine got more traction. There were other fanzines that sort of grew up around it. So individual games would have people that would produce their own newsletter around it. Then consumers would build their own magazines around it. And this magazine actually promoted those fanzines. In other words, instead of looking at it as competition, they would actually promote the existence of all these other fanzines being created by the fans because they knew that their more content was out there, that this was them sort of the sort of 1970s and 80s version of sort of user-generated content sort of going viral across all the different channels that they didn't have to be on. It was just, so I think it's just a wonderful example of this old marketing. That's a fascinating example. I wonder if why Hasbro killed it. Yeah, the the Wikipedia article, which is what we're going to link to in the show notes here, um, basically said that they couldn't make a business case for it. But I, you know, I suspect in 1998 that was a much harder thing to make a business case for um, than it would be today. Well, right? they, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they looked at all the assets in the company and said, "Here's this magazine over here." That's and right. It, maybe it was doing like. Uh, Let's say it was breaking even or making a little bit of profit. They said, well, shoot, we can kill this. They didn't look at it as supporting the business in any way. They probably looked at it as a separate publishing entity and not as a marketing. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's probably right. And I think, you know, this is, you know, I mean, imagine you're in 1998, right? The Internet is the biggest thing that everybody's talking about and everybody's talking about websites and electron and keep in mind where the video game business was at that time. And so here's a company Hasbro that's just bought this highly analog game, um, you know, which is truly, I mean, even today the digital versions of those hex games are not nearly what they are in real life, I would argue. Um, and so they're looking at the web and digital and all this disruptive stuff going on and they bought this company and they go, yeah, print magazine, Everybody's talking about websites, so we're going to really keep yeah. a you know, print magazine around. So, you know, it goes back to one of our shows a couple of weeks ago. You know, everything old is new again, right? That's exactly right. So, uh, so what do you got? You are at uh, Michigan State this week. What else you got going on? I this week I am yeah I'm at Michigan State uh, tomorrow, um, and then I go home, uh, which is nice. Um, and then I see you on Sunday at uh, wonderful, speaking of Michael Stelzner, Social Media Marketing World. That's you and I are both right. there. That's, and I think we'll be recording our next PNR from, from uh, San Diego. From San Diego. Beautiful yeah. San Diego. Beautiful San Diego. I would imagine. And, Wales, uh, uh, Wales, what is it? <laughs> Ron, Ron Burgundy? No. Oh, I'm my like, gosh. Yeah. Don't, I don't think we want to go there. Exactly. <laughs> but I, believe it or not, I have six speaking engagements this week. Oh, my gosh. I'm all over Northeast Ohio, believe it or not. Right. So for, for some reason, it's Chamber of Commerce Week. Uh, in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'll be at multiple chambers of commerce, having a wonderful time. That sounds in many locations. Really, uh, interesting. 
Actually, there's there's some really. I've got one at the Hudson. Ohio Would you like Library. some Kool Aid, Joe? Would you oh, like some Kool Aid here? It's gonna be wonderful. I'm really looking. For, <laughs> I'm no, sure. it's, it's it's gonna be great, great groups. It's of people. gonna be wonderful. I'm it's very excited about it. Fantastic. And then we'll, we'll see you on uh, on Sunday. Absolutely. Okay, it. that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We're signing off, and you know, do tweet us up. Gosh, we just love all those story ideas. Thank you so much for those who submitted story ideas for us and that this old marketing example. Keep those coming, folks. Those are always highly appreciated um, so that we don't have to dig into our own warehouse and get our hands dirty and all of that. And, you know, if you've got a question, you can always send an email to thisoldmarketing uh, at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 126, if you can believe that, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about today will be in the show notes available within the actual show itself, published on Monday night. And then, of course, in the show post, which hits your screen on Saturday mornings at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.